You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our AMA Live. I am very excited to have you here, and we're going to be diving into your questions momentarily. In the meantime, if this is adding any value to your life, as always, we ask that you share it so that we can continue to grow this badass community and anybody out there that's going to be at the Long Beach Success Live tomorrow. I will be speaking at Originally, it was like 10.07 a.m. Now, I think it's like 9.54 or something. They are very specific. They run a tight ship down there. I'm very excited. And as always, I'll be doing the Q&A afterwards. I will stay until every single question has been answered at the last Success Live. I was there until they literally were tearing down the set. So come see me. Say what's up. Get a selfie. Get your question answered. Let's meet and greet. Let's make some amazing decisions together. I will see you guys there. All right, so in true AMA fashion, I'm gonna be taking your questions live, both on Facebook and on YouTube, so submit them now or as we go, and I'm gonna get through as many of these bad boys as humanly possible, all right, with nice, concise answers. So here we go, first one, question from Jaleel. Do you do you do your morning routine every day, including the weekends? And the answer is no. So I try to do it Monday through Friday without exception, but invariably things happen. Um, sometimes it's that I'm doing a Q&A somewhere and you guys end up keeping me out until one or two in the morning, which has happened more than once. And then I get to bed really late, which means that I'm waking up later, which means I have to condense the morning routine. The way that I do them is, is even that sort of fluctuates depending on what's been going on in my life, but they usually get trimmed in the following order. Um, depending on what's coming up, I will first kill off my meditation, I will then kill off reading, and I will then kill off working out. So those are the things in that order that I kill off based on priority, and you don't know how much it pains me to kill reading before I kill working out, um, but that's how important that I think that is, and I can always make up reading later, which because I so enjoy reading, I'll find that I'll make room for it later, even if I'm tired or fatigued, whatever, I'll find time to put it back in, where it's working out. If I don't do it in the morning, then the chances of me actually doing it are virtually zero. Uh, so that's how I prioritize them in that order. Uh, I would say, though, that my full-blown morning routine, I do probably about 75% of the time, and then the remaining 25% of the time um, is some truncated version, but it is very, very rare that I don't do any of it. All right, Facebook question from Aria Naruzi. I just got to know you because of Dr. Shafali. That's amazing. She's amazing, by the way. Can you tell me your mission vision? Absolutely. So my goal is to address the dual pandemics of the body and the mind. Quest was um, my way of addressing what's going on with the body, though. I can see that we're going to be doing a lot more here at Impact Theory that has to do with health as well. We're about to launch a new health show. And the second pandemic is the pandemic um, of the mind that is being very directly addressed by Impact Theory. So the pandemic of the body, people understand, is very visible. Um, think of it as all the things that fall under the umbrella of 
metabolic disease. So not metabolic syndrome, which is one very specific thing, but metabolic disease, everything that's diet and lifestyle related. Um, the other is the pandemic of the mind, which is a little bit harder for people to see and understand because it's more or less invisible, but I'll sort of lump it into the overly simplistic um, anxiety, depression, and just sort of emotional um, disfulfillment, if that's not a word at all, uh, but you get where I'm going with that. And I believe that the way to address that is by addressing belief system. And I believe the reason I use the analogy of the, the matrix all the time and our stated mission at Impact Theory is to pull people out of the matrix. The reason that I use that um, analogy is because to me, the matrix is all about belief. It's about how people succumb to a limited, uh, limiting belief system. And I believe that there is a way to get people out of that. And the way to get people out of that uh, at the most fundamental level, at a cultural level, is through narrative, uh, mythology, fiction. And that's how humans assimilate truly disruptive information. So we're building a studio. I used to refer to it as a traditional narrative studio because I wanted people to understand that we're going to be making movies, TV shows, comic books, books, video games. But the reality is we're actually doing it in a very unconventional way. So for longtime viewers, you're going to hear me stop referring to it as a traditional studio. Um, and I have to find better words, but basically it's the 21st century version of a studio, which is going to marry the social content that we're doing now. And we're about to greatly expand our social content presence. We've got probably at least three new shows coming your way, most of which we're going to be doing on a weekly basis. I hedge my bets a little bit because I need to see just how much time it's really going to take before I fully commit to that. Um, but that will be the goal to really do this on a weekly basis. So, um, that would bring us to, I don't know, something like seven or eight, uh, different weekly shows that we're doing. So I'm really excited about them. And they're, um, unlike an AMA, which is really easy for us to produce. They're a little bit, uh, more production heavy, which is one of the reasons that I'm sort of hedging my bets, but I'm very excited. Uh, one of them is going to be in health, uh, and two of them at least will be focused around media. So really getting to the heart of what we're doing on the studio side of things. Um, so that should be really exciting, but all of it, um, just to wrap it in a nutshell is to pull people out of the matrix. Um, again, a limiting belief system and give them more empowering beliefs so that they can go on and do whatever it is that they want in their life to truly actuate their potential. Um, and this is a for-profit business and really sort of at our, like the business core of everything is merchandising. So that's uh, the, the primary revenue driver for us. Okay, Facebook question from Shane. How do you find the courage to launch a business when you're struggling to pay your bills, working full-time, et cetera? Uh, it's interesting. So because you use the word courage, I'm gonna address that first and go back on that one because I'm, I'm probably gonna need to, to reread that. So I wanna address courage first. So courage really is not the, and this is a Mark Twain quote, it's not the absence of fear, it's acting in the face of fear. So. I get it. Everybody's going to have fear, whether that's, oh my God, if I'm allocating this time, then, you know, am I going to make enough money? Am I going to be able to make ends meet? What if I fail? It's going to be embarrassing. Um, will I damage my reputation? And that really is, you have to, to be willing to move forward, even though you're afraid of those things. And this comes down to identity and belief. So what I was just talking about with wanting to address people's limiting beliefs with impact theory in general, the reason is it's so foundational. So if you 
start focusing on building a belief system that is going to push you forward and actually help you achieve your goals. Um, you're just putting yourself in a much more empowering position. Now, the way to do that is to start with identity. Identity drives behavior. So if you want to change anything in your behavior, such as backing down when something makes you afraid, um, you need to start with the identity of something as simple as saying out loud and to yourself and to other people. When I say out loud, I mean to other people um, to say, I'm the type of person that. So I'm the type of person that even when I feel fear, I move forward. Now, the thing that you should be moving forward towards is your goals. So again, behavior follows identity. So I'm the type of person that has the um that always does and believes that which moves me towards my goals. So that is another piece of your identity that's really going to help push you past um, that sort of hesitation. And then also when it comes to just a limited amount of time or being tired because you're working your job or whatever it is that becomes that thing that, that's holding you back because it's not always fear. It can be just sort of raw time. Um, you got to make the time. And so this is where you really have to prioritize. And I've yet to meet a human being that when I audited their time, I wasn't mortified. So the way that people spend their time is almost always largely reactive. So I'll tell you right now, if you check your email, that's just like cardinal sin number one. That's a very reactive behavior. So you want to use um, habits. You want to use routines in order to really like freakishly optimize your life. So I heard an awesome quote from Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon. Someone was asking for something of his time and he said, are you kidding? I'm trying to optimize my toothbrushing routine to get more out of my day. And I thought that when you're like down to, okay, and now how do I get more out of my toothbrushing routine, teeth brushing routine, I'm not sure which of those is right. Uh, then you know that you're really getting down to the nitty gritty. So um, getting really, really good at demanding more of yourself and optimizing your time, those are critical. All right, uh, where are we at here? Okay, Facebook question from Maria. How do you deal with being, how do you deal with people faking kindness? How do you manage to be self-motivated at all times? Uh, okay, these are very different. Um, how do I deal with people faking kindness? I don't even really care. That's the truth, I don't care. So if somebody's faking kindness and you can't tell they're faking and it ends up biting you in the ass later, I guess that would be problematic. Nine times out of 10, I can tell when somebody's faking A and B. When I can't tell, um, I'm not overextending myself or relying on other people. I don't hold anybody else to my standard. So I just don't have those kinds of expectations of other people and not in a bad way. Like I just, I get it. Like I meet people with compassion and empathy. I understand it. Um, they're having a hard enough time with their own life and they probably want to extend the kindness. They probably have a sincere desire to be kind and they may be faking it either because they're in their own grips of fear or they're trying to get something out of me and can you like blame them? At the end of the day, like everybody's always trying to make their own stuff come true and they're leading with their selfish desires and I fully get that and I don't think that's bad. I don't think it's a great strategy, by the way. And I think that real authentic connection is always the way to go, real kindness. In fact, I was giving a, a talk yesterday at City Summit and uh, one of the things that I said in my talk is, and because people say this to me all the time, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a networker, one thing that's become really popular to do now, and it went from being cool in the beginning and to now it's, it's getting a little bit gross and trite, is the, what can I do to help? Just let me know how I can help. 
And because usually you can feel that the person, they're not trying to really truly um, deliver value that they see what you're up to and they see a way that they can be useful to you. They're thinking one or two steps beyond you. And to your point, you can feel that. And so you have to be really, really careful. Way better strategy. When you see a way to help somebody, go to them and instead of saying the trite words of, hey, just let me know how I can help, which I get it is so tempting and it comes from usually a decent-ish place. Um, but it's way better to go and say, this is how I think I can help. If that resonates with you, let me know and I'm prepared to act on it immediately. That is a way to really get somebody's attention. So be careful with that. Um, How do you manage to be self-motivated at all times? I have a compelling future. So there is something I'm trying to make come true in my life that is so exciting to me that nobody has to tell me to do it. Nobody has to remind me. I just really, really want to make it come true in my life. And because of that, I'm pulled through. So that's something that I think people need to spend a lot more time is developing, developing that. You don't find it. You don't uncover it. You're not an archaeologist. This is not about turning within and seeing some mission for your life that's laying dormant inside of you. That's not how it works. It's like minor areas of interest that have developed simply from encountering things in the world that you found interesting. And you have to develop those interests first into fascinations and then ultimately into a full-blown passion. But you're not going to become passionate until you've developed mastery. So it's in the process of actually gaining mastery, getting good at something, seeing how usable it is in your life, how it makes you feel about yourself. Techni, as the ancient Greek philosophers called it, where you develop a skill set that you've worked very hard for and it has use to not only yourself but to other people, some greater good purpose, meaning When you're able to tap into that, that's a necessary requirement for passion. So if you want to be pulled through, that's how you get there. You've developed a skill set that's going to allow you to help other people to bring something into fruition that is very, very exciting to you. That will keep you motivated. And until you develop that, you're just not going to have the degree of motivation that you see in myself or somebody else who's done a similar amount of work. All right. YouTube question from Johnny B. Johnny B. Good. Just started a three-day fast because of you, my man. In fact, I'm reading something about this. It's called auto... I wrote it down. Will you guys give me a second to look this up? I'm so intrigued by this. Autophagy? Uh, it's something like that. I'm going to be quick. But this is, this is good. Um, and this is the human body's uh, technique for eating itself. Autophagy. I think that's how you, Autophagy? Probably autophagy. A-U-T-O-P-H-A-G-Y. This is what happens when you read things rather than encounter them in spoken conversation. You don't always know how they're pronounced. But autophagy, which by the way, I read on the Instagram account of Dr. Peter Atia. We're living through, I want to pull the mic really close when I have, we're living through an amazing time right now, boys and girls. Social media is still so undervalued. It's insanity. Dr. Peter Atia has like 3,000 followers on Instagram. Now, much to my dismay, his Instagram account is all of his personal interests. Hopefully, we can all guilt him into putting more of his amazing learnings of science and nutrition uh, into his Instagram feed. But right now, on Instagram, you're only competing with 3,000 other people for the attention of one of the greatest minds working today in health and nutrition. So get on it. Find those people that are undervalued. Build relationships if you can. 
like even just engage with our content, it adds more value than you think. So think about how you feel when somebody likes one of your photos or they comment on one of your photos, especially if it's a meaningful comment. So anyway, I go to his page today and I read the description in his Instagram feed and it says that he, one of his obsession, obsessions is autophagy. And I was like, what the hell is that? So I start researching it and realize that it is the cleanup system that the body uses to break down diseased, damaged, old cells that it's trying to get rid of. It's a cleanup process of the body. Now the body goes through that process as a reaction to stress. And one of the ways, just to bring it all back around to my boy, Johnny B. Good, is when you fast, you put your body through that stressor and it begins to clean up the things in the body more rapidly. All right, so you just started a three-day fast. Thank you for letting me go down that tirade for a second. Uh, you inspired me to challenge my mental strength. I love that. How can I relate this mentality to change my well-paying job to something I'm more passionate about? Ooh, those are sort of unrelated. So if I can draw a parallel, it would be if you really want to develop a passion, first of all, well, actually, the way you asked it, I'm going to assume that you already have a passion. So if you already have a passion and it's just a high financial risk to do it, then your mental discipline is going to come from can you live in a monkish style for a year, two years, three years or more doing something that makes you feel alive. It's actually a pretty small price to pay for feeling alive. So let's start with that, boys and girls, the name of the game that you're playing, remember, is not success. It's not money. It's brain chemistry, plain and simple. And the whole reason that you're chasing money is because you believe it will give you a certain brain chemical state. So rather than always putting this stuff off, make the demand that you make money doing something you love. Now, what I find is most people aren't willing to slog it out for a very long time, working their ass off in order to really get good at something, which at the end of the day is the name of the game. So use that mental discipline that you're developing through things like fasting in order to live a more monk-like life. Um, and that will be how you're going to cross that chasm because all you need to do to be able to go uh, and get a much lower paying job that makes you feel alive and hopefully is a huge investment in your passions and in your future um, is to lower your expenses. And people act like there's just no way to get out of the rat race, but of course there is. You can cut your um, financial needs to the absolute fucking quick. And if you're bright enough to even ask that question, I promise you can get a job that pays a reasonable income. And if you're willing to uh, just cut your expenses down to next to nothing, you can go a long way. One of my closest friends uh, for since uh, literally I was a teenager is, is a financial advisor. And what I found utterly fascinating about this guy, he used to rent a room in a house until he was almost 40 years old, even though he was making really good money. He rented a room in somebody else's house. Okay, let's all drink that in for a second. He's a financial advisor. He knows what to do with money. He knows how to make money. He is one of the smartest human beings I have ever met in my life, but he never wanted to be beholden to money. So he would rent a room in a house and just save, 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 save save for decades and decades. And now he's buying property and he's renting that property out. So there are ways, man, but you just have to be prepared to suffer. Them's is the facts, boys and girls. I've never seen anybody get anywhere. I've seen people be given stuff, but I've never seen anyone get anywhere extraordinary without being willing to suffer and suffer a lot. So build that mental discipline and scale your expenses back to the quick 
rent a room in somebody's house if you have to. I used to manage apartment complexes so that I could get really discounted rent. I was living in Los Angeles in a two-bedroom apartment for $400 a month, okay? Because I managed the apartment complex. And I used to live for $100 a month before that. So for the same reason, I was managing apartment complexes. And I actually lived rent-free for a while before that, again, managing apartment complexes. So while it sucked because you're never at home, you're always at work, it was how I was able to afford somewhere and not be beholden to money. All right. YouTube, Bobby Kastadinov. Kastadinov, that sounds about right. Hey, Tom, how do you get enough attention to your work if it is subtle by design so it gets drowned out by clickbait and flavor of, I'm guessing, the month, since that cuts off at flavor of tea. All right, so this is an awesome question. I want everybody to listen real fucking well because you're not gonna like the answer and it is the absolute gospel truth. Two things. One, you have to be so good they can't, so good they can't ignore you. So if you're being ignored, it's because your shit is not good enough. Let's start with that. It's a hard truth. We all have to accept it. I'm as guilty as anybody else. When startup theory didn't get an audience, I had to own, well, fuck, the thing that I thought I was going to be the best at, for whatever reason, I'm the worst at. So go figure. All right. But I didn't waste time blaming anybody else, by the way. I just said, okay, I have not figured this out. I've not cracked this nut. I've not made it good enough. And so we rapidly moved on, iterated, found out what was working, developed other shows, and, and just got better. And then number two, you have to play the game. You have to play the game. So I get it. You want the world to respond to your stuff because you like it, but it's about developing things that other people like. So for instance, I was just talking about this earlier today. I prefer to do the long form content where over an hour I answer two questions. That's more enjoyable for me. But you guys have spoken when I do it AMA style and I'm super fucking like succinct, boom, 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 get the answer done and answer 15 or 20 questions in the hour. It just performs better, so I do that. Also, you need to understand the game of marketing and advertising. You have to do what works. You have to get the attention. So, yeah, it, there's a difference. This is what I used to tell my film students. You have to decide if you want to make love or masturbate. And here's the truth. Masturbation's a solo game. Enjoy it. If that's your gig, enjoy. Absolutely fantastic. You don't have to think about anybody but yourself. If you want to make love, on the other hand, you need to think about your partner. So if you're creating content and it's meant to be the making love equivalent, you have to think about what your audience wants. You have to look at what they respond to. You can't just create what you want. So I'm a huge believer in scale, which means at all times, all I'm doing is making love. And so I care very deeply about what you guys are responding to, what you like, what you don't like, and I'm gonna adjust the content accordingly because my goal is to add value to your life, and I can't add value if you don't give a shit. So that's an important lesson. All right, Brandon Arnold from Facebook. If you have a disorder, i.e. derealization disorder, I don't know what that is, so I'll be very curious to see if I'm going to be useful to you here. Uh, would you keep hustling through it or go into hiding and fix yourself for a year or so? One, I think the answer is always get good at something. I, so I'm going to have to reframe the question because I don't know what derealization disorder is. Um, but 100%, the hustle in this scenario is getting good putting your head down, doing the work, becoming extraordinary. So 
yeah, to me, they are one and the same. But just putting yourself out there, if that's not delivering results and you think you'll get more results by going inward, by getting the alone time that you need, I think that's the absolute right answer. Um, so, and I don't know if you're asking from like a linchpin perspective, you wanna be a linchpin employee, or if you're thinking more as a online marketer of some kind and you want a personal brand or something. So either way, the answer is the same. So you need to get good, you need to get effective. And if the best way for you to develop that skill set and get effective is to essentially shut out the outside world for a while, go in, practice, research, whatever it is, get better, go to therapy, whatever that answer is, for sure, 100%, that's the right answer, get good. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you wanna have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with eBay Motors. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, break it down. Wow. There you have it. Um, that's brand new to me. Um, but yeah, I would say work on that first because it could be a stumbling block or something that slows you down or holds you up uh, for a very long time. Also, that could be something if other people are struggling with that and you really have an opportunity to, like I've never even heard of this and I live in the world of mental health. So if you can go out, become an expert on that and then come back and really help people, that could be extraordinary. All right, next question. Benjamin James Hurons from Facebook. Hello, from London. It's actually written like that. Tom Blush. 
Uh, do you have any golden nugget tips for successfully crowdfunding a project? Well, I will say that number one, make sure that your your product is meeting a need, something that people really uh, have pent up demand for. So I'll give you an example. I'm on the board of a company um, called Modius Health. Modius Health has launched one of the most successful um, Kickstarter, not Kickstarter, they were Indiegogo, one of the most successful Indiegogo campaigns I've ever heard of. I'm sure there have been bigger, but this one was amazing. And they um, it is a weight loss device. So hey, you know there's huge demand for that. And they put together an awesome team. So it's uh, the CEO is a neuroscientist and surgeon. Um, on the board, they had um, V.S. Ramachandran, who is one of the foremost um, neuroscientists in the world. He's somebody that's inspired the life out of me. They had Dr. Drew on their board. I'm on their board. Um, and they put together some awesome video content. And so when they launched, it was they were laying out the research, but doing it in a way that was really accessible and um, they were very good, by the way, at taking advice um, and did a lot of things like offering a money back guarantee and all of that and had a product that really spoke to the market. So a product that if it's real is exceptionally good, that there's huge demand for and then put your marketing materials together in a way that is very, very, very compelling. And if you can get some social influencers that can back it up and help you generate a ton of buzz leading up to that even better. They also hired a PR agency. Uh, the PR agency helped them get a lot of attention right on that. So um, that's the one that I've been involved with that was insanely successful. Just to give you some numbers, um, they had a goal of $50,000, uh, which they did in 24 hours. They doubled that in 48 hours and hit um, 100K. And then within 72 hours, they were at 800,000. And then not long after that, they crossed the million mark. So um, they, they just smashed it. They were going for 50,000. They ended up getting over a million. So it was just insane. So it's, uh, it's certainly a winning formula. All right. Marie Lena, Yvette Hernandez, Facebook. How do you stay positive after a breakup? Okay, so first and foremost, the way that I look at everything is it's all my fault, but I don't condemn myself for anything. I'm not looking to beat myself up. I'm simply trying to stay in control. So I'm gonna ask myself, what did I do to create this situation? Did I choose poorly? Was this somebody that, was, that didn't have a growth mindset, which to me is like the absolute Foundational thing, if you wanna be in a relationship with me of any kind, by the way, you have to have a growth mindset. Otherwise, it's, there's just, yeah, it's gonna be a nightmare. That's a whole nother answer. Um, you have to have a growth mindset. So did I do something poor in the selection process? Second, one of the most important things in any relationship is to feel like somebody's number one. So did I do that? So anyway, I won't take you down all those things, but that's how I'm going through it, right? I'm not beating myself up. I'm just legitimately looking for ways to improve. I want to stay in control because for me, the way to get over the bad feelings is to know that I can change. It's when it feels like it is a permanent life sentence where it gets really hard to deal with that emotion, right? Because if somebody says, you're not good enough for me, let's just take a really gnarly example. You're not good enough for me. That is a brutally difficult pill to swallow. But if you can flip it and go, you're not good enough yet, and not about that person, because if I got rejected like that, the honest answer is I flip a switch in my head and I just move past them. Um, I don't allow myself to get into an abusive cycle of wanting and craving and needing um, their approval. So I would immediately, okay, we're done. 
it's got to be a learning lesson, so I'm going to look really hard at what I did, but I'm not going to be going back to that person and seeking their approval. That, that to me is really, really important. So it's what I call the impossible to please father syndrome, which is a game I don't play, um, and I highly encourage everybody to not play that. Uh, it is when people, when either they legitimately as a tactic withhold affection, you'll get into an emotional death spiral. If it was a relationship where they withheld affection for whatever reason, just because the relationship became dysfunctional through no fault of um, their own, whatever, or it's a manipulative tactic that they use. Either way, it doesn't matter. I don't play that game. It, it, is, it is an emotionally dangerous, dangerous game. Uh, but I would be doing the internal work to make sure that I'm uh, better equipped to have a successful relationship the next time. So I'm looking at what I've done. I am getting re-excited about who I can become. So whatever criticism they've given me is not a permanent sentence. That's really hugely important. I believe at any time I can improve and get better in any direction that I want. Um, so that is all very uplifting. And then I would just start refocusing on all the things that are great about being single and just cultivate in yourself optimism, quite frankly. So you have to understand that the, the chemical state that you're in in a breakup is just that. It's a chemical state. And so you need to do things to get you out of that. So I'm going to be watching comedies. I'm going to be going out with the friends that make me laugh. I may just straight go to comedy shows, like legitimately anything that I can do to change my brain chemistry. I'm probably going to start eating better. I'm going to exercise more. It's all the classic things that people do after a breakup when you're going to look better, which is going to make you feel better about yourself. Two, exercise is just amazing for mood optimization. Um, and then three, if you get your diet right, the loop between the serotonin system of your brain and your gut is going to be in a way better place. Um, and all of these things are going to help you uplift your mood. But I would just recognize that my emotions are, um, I, I will treat them as a lie. So I don't need to, if it's making me sad, I don't need to believe in that. Uh, I can change my brain chemistry. I can do almost mechanical things to get myself out of that neurochemical state and into a positive place. So that's what I would do. All right. Kyla Wilburn, YouTube. Can you give specific times you think being selfish is okay? Specific times when you think it is not. All right, so um, I'm a huge believer in aligning selfish desires. So I won't say that there's any time where being selfish isn't okay. Um, so for instance, with my wife, which is the person that I'm the most giving of, where I'm constantly asking like, you know, can I do something for her, even if it costs me. But even that, I want a good relationship with her because she makes me feel like her number one, which is the most important relationship in my life. So it is ultimately a very selfish act. I'm doing it because I want that relationship in my life, which actually helps because then I don't, I'm not feeling like a martyr, um, which I don't think is a healthy place for people to live. So reminding myself that I'm doing this because it's something that I want for myself now because I want this amazing relationship in my life. I want to feel like her number one. I want to give her reasons to feel good, which I have a code that mandates that I make her feel better about herself when she's with me than when she's not with me. So wanting to align with my own code and all of those things are ultimately selfish acts. So when you frame selfishness in that way where it is um, actually something selfish that you're doing to really make other people feel good, then you don't fall prey to martyr syndrome. Um, you always remind yourself to take care of yourself because I think that when people are always putting other people ahead of them, that can also be very, very toxic. Um, so taking care of yourself, making sure that you're fulfilled, that you're happy before you start worrying about other people uh, is always the right answer. 
Um, and then, you know, when you have a code that is you being selfish and at the same time taking care of other people. And, and when I mean being selfish about your code is your code should be one of the most important things in your life. So adhering to your code, you should be doing for yourself and nobody else. So whenever you're doing that, it's sort of intrinsically selfish. But at the same time, I believe people should have a code that is watchful of other people and makes people feel good about being around them, so on and so forth. All right. Natural Lizo from YouTube. How do you personally stop running what I call tapes in your head about your past? What, how do you replace them with? All right, so here's the thing. For me, everything comes down to I do and believe that which moves me towards my goals, period. So I don't allow myself to do or believe anything that doesn't move me towards my goals. So if obsessing over my past is useful, I will do it. If obsessing over my past is not useful, I won't do it. Now here's the truth about obsessing over the past. It's almost never useful. So, but I'm not obsessing over the past simply because it doesn't have a lot of utility. So that is a very easy way for me to let myself off the hook because people feel this like weird obligation to punish themselves for things that they did badly in the past or to relive traumas. And for me, once I put at the core of my belief system that I would only ever do that which moved me towards my goals, then it was like, oh, well, I'm not going to focus on that because it doesn't align with my belief system. And so even though my brain is coughing up that notion or wanting to punish me for something that I had done, um, or, and this is crazy, that someone else did to me that I'm ashamed of, right? So people get in that weird fucking loop. So recognizing that it is not at all, in any way, shape, or form useful, I'm going to discard it. And I found that that made it okay to stop doing. So that's a really, really powerful technique that I've used, and hopefully it will serve you as well. What do I replace them with? Things that move me towards my goals. So uh, my belief system is built around entirely things that are empowering, and the way that I get them to stick is largely through repetition, where I'm literally just repeating it to myself. I do and believe that which moves me towards my goals. Um, and a host of other things. In fact, if you go to impacttheory.com right now, you'll see that I have the 25-point belief system. That is the belief system that I run everything through, um, one of them being that we do and believe that which moves us towards our goals. So go now and download that. All right, Miles Drake from YouTube. What is the best tactic to improve your neurochemistry? Would absolutely love your take on this. All right, so neurochemistry is so multifaceted, it depends what neurochemical state you're trying to create. So that will determine it. I'll just go with um, happy, for lack of a better word. This one has a lot of hooks that you can tap into. So the first one is, if you fake a smile long enough, it becomes real. So if I'm in a piss poor mood, one of the first things that I'll do is force myself to laugh out loud. And I have found that for me, about seven to 10 seconds of laughing out loud, I can't stay in a bad mood. It's just neurologically impossible. Um, it comes from the mirror neuron system where we see, like if you look at somebody else and they're smiling, you'll find yourself smiling to match their emotion and then that allows you to internalize it. So there's this weird feedback loop between just the muscle skeletal system where holding your posture in a certain way has certain neurological outcomes. So you can really sort of manhandle your way into that. So um, 
happiness is one of the ones that I found has a lot of those hooks. So I'll change my posture. I'll watch a comedy. I'll force myself to laugh out loud. I'll hug my wife, which has the release of um, oxytocin. You can do things that trigger dopamine. So what are the things that excite you? Play video games. Like that's something that works really well for me. I'm reading. I love to read. When I find something that fascinates me, I find that all of my um, anxiety, that like fascination for me is an anxiety killer. And one of the ways that, especially in the early days of um, impact theory, when it was like nerve wracking to do the interviews, I would start studying the person in the hopes that I would find something about them that really fascinated me. And then I knew that I could do the interview around that. And doing the interview around something that fascinated me just dropped all the other, um, the anxiety out the window. Also meditating is a huge one. All right. Blaze Pittman, Facebook, how important do you believe mass awakening of self-awareness and self-confidence in humanity is to us and our children's future? Holy hell. All right, this is a big question. Let me really give you a real answer. Um, I think it would be awesome. I think it will take generations. And at the same time, it is the absolute mission at the core of my life to which I'm willing to dedicate the rest of my life and my fortune. So, but to really understand me, you have to understand that hiding in that question is like something that also makes me deeply uncomfortable. And the reason is I believe in looking at big problems like that in a very real way. And I think the reality of what you're calling a mass awakening, there, there are cultural shifts are real. And I think that you would have a very hard time getting people to agree what the mass awakening should be. My own take on it is merely that people discover that they have essentially limitless potential and that they believe in themselves enough to pursue the process of skill acquisition in order to do things that right now most people believe to be extraordinary or impossible. I hope one day people take as um, self-evident that we can do it and that no longer does geography or socioeconomic um, realities of where you're born influence what you ultimately do with your life. That sort of, that, not sort of, I don't know why I was couching that. That is exactly my vision for the mass awakening. But I think that the truth is that that takes multiple generations and you have to find a way to do it where people are antagonistic against the change and they can't help but change, which is why I'm attacking it from the perspective of media because that is the books we read, the stories we're told, the characters we look up to, the movies that we get obsessed with, the TV shows, they all feed into this silent belief system. And what your parents tell you is the biggest part of that. So I understand that you've got to get people when they're young, give them a belief system that's empowering, and then it's going to go on ultimately to be what they tell their kids. And so now as that begins to stack and stack and stack generation after generation, you can really have significant influence, but you're fighting against a lot of world events. It's going to be fucking hard. So when I'm honest, I really think of it as I'm a filtering mechanism and I'm trying to get to the people that resonate with my message. Now, I don't ever think it's going to be an entire generation at once. I think this stuff is going to ebb and flow. I think it's, you know, going to be one of these. I just hope that over time, the general trajectory is up uh, and not down or stagnant. So um, that's the truth. It would be amazing if we could snap our fingers and make it happen. I just don't think that's realistic given the realities of the human animal and the butterfly um, chaos effects of the world. All right. 
Brett English Facebook, what's your opinion on GMOs? There's a lot of conflicting information and I would like your opinion on if you eat them yourself or you stick to organics. Okay, so first we have to recognize organic is different than GMO. So GMO is genetically modified organisms. I eat the living daylights out of GMOs. They're probably for the most part, okay. Um, I don't think we know enough yet to put any like real hard stamps. And let me tell you, if something compelling comes out, I'd be all for it. Um, I don't consider myself an expert in the global impact of removing GMOs, but what seems true at a high level is that you wouldn't be able to feed the world without GMOs, without crops that are resistant to um, certain um, things that destroy them. I wanna say bacteria, but I'm not even entirely sure what ends up killing a lot of crops. So, But I know that they genetically modify them to make them more resilient. They, they are crossing them genetically with things that have already been around. So it's like crossing an avocado with wheat. It's not that, but you get what I'm saying. It's not like stuff is, in fact, what was it? Like a Brazil nut is one of the things that's most commonly crossbred um, with grains to make them more resistant, resilient. I think that's accurate, but don't hold me to that. We are officially outside of what I really feel confident in explaining. Um, but that's my gut instinct is that it it isn't the biggest concern that we face. I'm way more freaked out by what's going on in the microbiome. And so I look at GMOs from that, like, does it have an adverse effect that we can't yet tell on the microbiome? And it may, and if it does, and we should try to avoid it. But for right now, I eat the life out of them. Um, I do not think about them at all. Now, organic, on the other hand, I'm becoming more and more intrigued by. Uh, I'm way concerned that the definition of organic right now is more marketing than reality. So when I say organic, what I'm really talking about is things that are eating as close to uh, an evolutionarily consistent diet as possible. So if you know the animal meats and proteins um, that we consume for millennia weren't eating grains and now all of a sudden they are, if they weren't getting antibiotics injected and now all of a sudden they are, that stuff gives me pause. I don't go way out of my way to avoid it, but man, the more I learn about the microbiome, the more that I'm trying to fix my wife's problem, the more I'm gonna be honest, I think this stuff is gonna become a bigger and bigger deal and then I'm gonna make her try weirder and weirder stuff and then I'm starting to think about like grass-fed instead of grains, like, so I can't tell you how open I am to radically overhauling everything that I think about food and this is coming from a guy that built a nutrition company but I think when you get dogmatic, real problems ensue. So uh, I'm excited about all the things that I'm learning and we're gonna be doing a show around health specifically for that reason. And by the way, um, speaking of things that I mentioned at the beginning of the show but you may be just joining us, if this is adding value to your life, please do share it. And by the way, I'm gonna be speaking live tomorrow at Success Live in Long Beach. So check that out. You can learn more about it at success.com, successmagazine.com, successmag.com. I can't believe I don't know this. Successlive.com. Success I think it's like Sasha's event or something. Okay, successlive.com. You can find out about it there to get tickets and all that good stuff. As always, I'll be doing my endless Q&A at the end of my talk. So I'll stay as long as there are questions to answer. I'm all about those selfies, homie. So if you see me there, let's grab a selfie. All I ask is that you tag me and you post it. That's how we build this audience. Uh, so yeah. All right, next question. Sasha Crespi from Facebook. Loved the AMA you just posted from the 24-hour impactathon. Thank you. Question, how do I develop a real sense of urgency and how do I use the darkness to fuel new, more painful behaviors? Thanks, don't scroll off this one. 
All right. How do you get develop a real sense of urgency? So this comes from a compelling future. I was talking about that earlier. My urgency all comes from I actually want to pull people out of the matrix. That that would, one, make me feel very good about myself. Two, it's so fucking cool to think that all the things that I've been learning for decades and decades can actually help other people. That, by the way, every day I'm trying to learn more. People... My life is boring as shit to film. I know because we tried to film it and it basically is me staring at a computer and reading books all day. But when I think about how much impact that's having on people, how many DMs I get of people who are like, the content has changed my life. That's what really pushes me and drives me. It is a concept called techni. When you work your ass off for something, to get good at something that is uniquely you that other people cannot do and you're able to use that to serve other people, it it does something to your sense of fulfillment that I cannot even begin to tell you. So that is fucking awesome. So having a future where you're like, dude, I can actually move towards that and really bring benefit to other people's lives and just feel fucking good about who I am because I'm getting stronger and more powerful by the day by putting in a whole lot of hard work, that is fulfillment at its finest. And when I say that the game that you're playing is brain chemistry, that's what I'm talking about. That sense of fulfillment, that sense of being used, that sense of growing more powerful, that sense of gaining mastery, that sense of putting in energy and getting a result from that energy of becoming more capable of something. That's why I'm so fucking obsessed. I'm so obsessed with the human ability to exercise their potential, to not have potential, but to actually actuate it. That to me is the juice of life. Like that's the whole point. So because I believe I can actually pull people out of the matrix. Oh God, this is a little, it isn't gross. I, people always couch this shit. Look, I'm not being arrogant in this, but this is how, like, if you can think like this, it will fucking supercharge you. It's like Schindler's list, right? I'm looking at it going, how many people can I help? How many people? And I have, unfortunately, as of right now, I am going to fucking die which I hate that and I really hope somebody solves that fucking problem. But for now, I get it, I'm on a path to death. So because I unfortunately have to currently accept that reality or go out and do something about it myself, which I don't feel is my mission in life, I've gotta move as fast as I can to help as many people as humanly possible. So because that is so exciting to me and yeah, that's how you create that urgency. And every day that I'm not the person that I want to become, I'm just not able to help enough people. And right now, I'm not the person that I know that I can become, so I've gotta work fucking fast to get out there and do that. And also, while I'm not, I don't consider myself a highly competitive person. Like, once you want to win, then things really start to get interesting, and I wanna win. I wanna win. I wanna be, I wanna be the best at pulling people out of the matrix ever which has, I'm hiding a whole lot of things in that, but uh, because of the format of the M, I'm not gonna go down those rabbit holes, but I want to be great. I want to be the greatest. All right, darkness. The darkness will serve you. And here's what I find. Darkness is way more powerful than the light, but it's very acute. You can only use it for really small amounts of time. And I don't know why the human animal is wired this way, but the truth is, if I want you to be able to endure more pain, 
what I, and they've done studies on this. I'm not making this shit up. If I want you to be able to endure more pain, what I have to let you do is get angry. And if you let people yell and cuss out loud, they can endure something like 30% more pain. So that's the darkness. It's a very simple way of explaining it. So when I need, when I really need to show up and I'm fucking exhausted and I can't imagine taking another step, I am not thinking about the beautiful things in my life. I'm thinking about the motherfuckers that want to see me fail. I'm thinking about the people that will laugh and dance on my grave, and I will not let them have that victory. I will rob that from them. And so in those moments, that comes in, and it is super fucking powerful, and it will let me go farther than I ever thought that I could go. But it is very finite, and if you keep investing in the darkness, it will begin to corrode you. And it's like anything in the mind and the body. A little bit can be awesome. Too much is destructive. They say that the dose makes the poison. So... If you take too much of something, it can kill you. But if you take just a little bit, you can have what's called a hormetic effect, where a little bit of stress and strain um, and damage can actually be powerful. So that's how you use it. All right, next up. Four-minute mark. All right, we'll get at least one more. Holden MC6 from YouTube, you have stated that your why or stretch goal for starting Quest was to end metabolic disease. Do you believe that you have accomplished this or did you move on to um, impact theory because of a newfound why? So definitively, I hope anybody would slap me about the head, neck, and chest if you ever hear me claim uh, as of today that we've ended metabolic disease because clearly we have not. We've taken but the most minor of strides um, towards doing that. And the reason that I came over to impact theory is because one quest is going and I think it's amazing and I think it's going to continue to crush Um, and two my partners and I did not exactly share a vision I really believed that um, personal branding was going to become bigger and bigger and that I wanted to do that within quest but it was going to become a very expensive endeavor and to drag them along on that expensive endeavor was not going to be fair to them also they're amazing at what they're doing and so they're going to keep running with the company so It just made sense from my perspective that because I want to address both the pandemic of the body and the pandemic of the mind, but it wasn't going to be easy or cheap to do within the framework of Quest because people knew us as a protein bar company. My partners wanted to stay focused on the food. I wanted to expand to the brain. It's not very fair to drag people along to do that. So it just made more sense for us to say, you guys keep doing what you're doing and I'm going to go start Impact Theory. So that was why um, I did that was, I think... um, it was just an amazing time. It was an amazing 14-year journey that ultimately culminated in Quest. It didn't start with Quest, but ultimately culminated in Quest. I'm insanely proud of it. Consider myself the chief evangelist for the company. Um, yeah, but that's why I started Impact Theory. All right, Andrew Cam, YouTube. You mentioned a monk-like life. I can sacrifice my lifestyle, but how can I sacrifice such a lifestyle for my family? I also have a job that pays too much to leave, but am unhappy. Let's talk about all the traps in that question. Let's start with the most obvious. I have a job that pays too much to leave. That's, that's a choice, and I fully respect that choice, and I think it's a very valid choice. But if you're going to stay, know that it is a choice, that you absolutely could quit, that while it will probably make everyone in your family super fucking tense, that there are ways for you guys to live on less money, even if it means either homeschooling, uh, public school, if they're not already in public school, whatever the case may be, there there are a host of very valid life choices being made by a whole host of people right now that require less money um, to live and get by 
but I do not want to diminish. That would be terrifying and is one of the reasons that I don't have children. So please don't let this sound flippant. I just want you to know that it is a choice. It isn't a trap. But if you're going to stay, which again, I fully respect that, but if you're going to stay, reframe it and you've got to find a way to be happy because it does not make sense. The number one predictor of your children's future success and happiness is not how much money you make. Hopefully that seems self-evident. I will look up the study that I found that in, but that is not the number one predictor of their future success and happiness. What is, is your happiness, which is utterly shocking to me until you break it down and think about it's not the amount of quality time that you spend with them. It's what you're teaching them about life. If you're giving them a pessimistic attitude, optimists do way better in terms of job satisfaction, job performance, rising up, amount of money that they make. I mean, it's crazy how optimism predicts success. So if you're coming home, you're miserable. What you're teaching them is that you hate your job. Life is just a shit sandwich and every day is another bite. They're going to carry that forward. They will adopt that as their view on life and thusly will struggle to get ahead and find something that they can be passionate about and that makes them feel alive. If the game that you're playing is truly brain chemistry, it doesn't matter what you teach your kids about making money. What matters is whether you teach them that you can and should make the demand that what you do for a living makes you come alive. So yes, be very, very careful. It is a choice to stay. It doesn't make too much money to leave. I have been in that situation. I cut my, I didn't have kids, I get it, but I cut my money in a third when we started Quest with no sense of where it was going to go. My wife and I had to get rid of one of our cars, live uh, with a single car. I used to bum rides. Some of this is before uh, Uber and Lyft. I used to bum rides off my employees. <laughs> That's real. Um, we never left the house. Not never, but I mean, dude, we almost never left the house, literally, for almost two years. So eh, there's just other than to go to work. There are things that you can do to cut it to the quick. And if you're an amazing bundle of energy and your kids just can't bear to be apart from you because you're so much fucking fun and you're in such a good mood and you're so happy. I promise like the money is just the last thing that they're going to be thinking about. All right. And then I'm also a huge believer that if you do that and you focus on something that you love and that makes you feel like you're coming alive and you work and get better over time, you can build that into a real fucking success financially. Okay. With that, we're at the end of the AMA. I'm getting a highlighted yellow thing that says end of AMA. So we got to tap out guys. Thank you so much for joining me. If this has added value in any way, shape or form, please do share it. That's how we build this community and we are growing fast. And that is all because of you guys. And I am insanely grateful. The whole team here is grateful. Thank you so much because of you guys. We will hopefully actually be able to make our dream of pulling people at scale out of the matrix a reality. And we're going to do it by building a studio. Um, All right, guys, thank you so much. This is a weekly show. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.